gentlemen welcome back to another episode of the midwest monsters podcast and for the first time in 14 months are we airing this one next should i even be saying this now or in another episode this is next. well we have to now screw it we? we're doing it live <laughs> for the first time recording in person in 14 months i'm one of your hosts grizzly abner and i'm joined by the incredibly relieved professor wagstaff venomous Vinny, hot toddy Good to be with you again, friends, as we bring you another installment of The Monster Mash. I'm Grizzly Abner, and I chose Mountaintop Motel Massacre. Professor Wagstaff here. I picked The Night Flyer. Venomous Vinny here. I picked The Monster Club. And Hot Toddy, I picked Freaky from 2020. Okay. I believe that we are starting with the Venomous One's pick, Monster Club. Right. Hit the dates and deets, Toddy. The Monster Club, 1981, uh, directed by Roy Ward Baker, starring a young Vincent Price, John Carradine, Anthony Still, B.A. Robertson, Donald Pleasant, and Simon Ward. All right. So, I picked this movie. I have I'm a big Vincent Price fan, but honestly, I have only discovered this movie in the past year. This is the first time that I have ever watched this. And I I got it as a recommendation from a friend of mine, John Weisgerber, and uh said it's one of his favorites. Uh a guilty pleasure is how he put it. <laughs> and, uh, so I watched it and there, I don't know. It is weird AF, but there is something about it that does have a charm that's made me go back. And I just, I don't know. I just want to discuss it with uh, more people. So that's my experience with it. How about you guys? Uh, first time viewing for me. First time ever hearing of it. First time watching it. Uh, this is probably the third time viewing it for this. Um, it's interesting. It's a unique kind of a moment in time because you kind of have a, it's a changing of the guard in a lot of ways. Yes. Uh, I watched it uh, when we did the 81 podcast, I was trying to watch some 81 movies and it's, this is one I had never seen. I was familiar with it mainly because of um, the thriller videos that Elvira was putting out. Um, this is one of the ones that she covered. I just remember the, the box art. Um, so yeah, it was like uh, this year was the first time watching this. So, is this available uh, streaming? Where's the easiest way to watch I this? I think for it's listeners? available on like Shutter Prime. Uh, I watch it on Amazon Prime. Yeah, it, cool. it's pretty readily available streaming wise. So the basic premise, and also another reason I like it, I think, is it's an anthology, and I like an anthology horror movie. Uh, so it starts out with horror writer R. Chetwin Hayes, played by John Carradine, 
is walking down the street, kind of looking in a storefront at a setup that's there of his own materials. And he is bumped into by Vincent Price, who is is weak, and uh, he John Carradine offers him to help in any way he can. And as it turns out, Vincent Price's character is a vampire, and he dines on his Archetwin Hayes' blood and picks up his wallet and realizes who he is and starts gushing over him because he's a big fan in the monster world of his writings because he's a horror writer. And he tells him not to worry. He didn't bite him hard enough to turn him into a vampire. And he decides to take him to the Monster Club, which is a nightclub where all the members are various monsters. And they sit down at a table together to talk. And Vincent Price starts to go through, I think, what this movie is probably most famous for, the the monster family tree. The genealogy, <laughs> if you will. Which is wild. Like, uh, <laughs> where of a werewolf and a ghoul mate. They have a were-goo. Uh, and it goes through all of these things. So then you start to step into each of the uh, three stories that he tells spotlights a different hybrid monster. And as the professor said, this, this movie really is like a changing of the guard. You're in, this is 1981. Uh, you're getting at the end of all of those Gothic horror icons. And so you have these famous actors from all these old horror movies, John Carradine and Vincent Price in this film spotlighting these type of characters, but at the same time, they're in the most 80s venue you've ever seen in your life with the musical new wave musical performances that are strangely put in <laughs> some of the weirdest musical musical uh, interludes you've ever witnessed. I really like the guy singing that song about sucking, and he's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the song. It's the most new wave thing you've ever seen in your life. So the first story... That he tells is about uh, was a, a shadmock, a shadmock, a shadmock, which basically is a kind way of, of as Vince Price says, a, a mongrel. They're basically a mix of everything, and they appear mostly human, but they have a trait that is a whistle. <laughs> yes, a demonic that's, whistle. That's correct. Uh, if, Taco Bell after drink. <laughs> if they whistle uh, and you hear it, then it. It melts you up. <laughs> so, so the Shadmock, uh, they don't know he's a Shadmock. He, he puts out a, he puts out an ad in the paper and this shady guy and his girlfriend are looking for a way to scam people. He sends his girlfriend to go be this guy's assistant thinking maybe they can steal some decent shit to pawn. She goes, she is disgusted by the man's looks who... <laughs> He looks aren't that monstrous, folks. He's, he's not that. He's just pale. He's not that strange looking. <laughs> yeah, he's he just pale. Uh, and he, all he wants is a friend. Blah blah blah. She goes home, says to her husband, "I can't do this." You know, the guy. I'm terrified of the guy. I can't be around him. Boyfriend's like, "Yeah, you go, you go, you will." So he go. She goes, and eventually, uh, the guy falls. The Shadmock falls in love with her. And proposes, and she tells her boyfriend, "I can't, I can't accept it." You know, and boyfriend says, "Yes, you will <laughs> again." Uh, so she goes back and watches him, learns the 
the combination to a safe. And while they're having an engagement party, she sneaks into the room and starts to steal his money. He catches her and he says, you can take all those things. They don't matter to me, but I believe that, you know, you could still love me. And she basically tell him you're a disgusting <laughs> creature that I, that is not worthy of love. <laughs> Middle school. Am I she, right. She barfs on him <laughs> <laughs> and he loses his shit. And, whistles <laughs> and next thing you know she's showing up back to the apartment and her boyfriend's like what you got and she lifts her veil or whatever and her face is melted so yeah and then the boyfriend ends up in a mental institution you'll have that yeah yeah so good times on the first story guys what do you think of that first tale well, basically it's an decent proposal um <laughs> It sets the tone for the movie. It's a it's pretty bizarre, even for an anthology segment. Um, but while it is bizarre with the idea of the Shatmok, it's still it's pretty familiar territory, which is important because if it goes too far off the rails, you don't want to watch more segments. But uh, yeah, I don't think there's too much controversy. That, uh, in that deleted in this scene film. where she lifts her dress—that's the that's the shocker. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, you summed it up very well. You hit all the high spots. There was a couple things. Um, I love the dramatic music that they use in this skit. Uh, I love that there's an evil cat that he then burns with his whistle. Because <laughs> it killed his pigeon friend. <laughs> his pigeon friend. Uh, yeah, that's uh, you, you You summed it up very well. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Did you have any disappointments in, in this movie? In this. Were you expecting any lines or anything? In the, yes, <laughs> I was. I was really hoping that perhaps he would get the people away and say, "Back, back, you devils!" But that's going to be more in the third vignette, more so than this one. Okay, <laughs> the third vignette featuring Johnny Cash. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. So the second part, uh, there is while they're at the club after one of these wonderful music performances. Uh, <laughs> A vampire-human hybrid, uh, who is a a director, makes a short film about his childhood, but upgrades it to make it period-appropriate to modern day. And he shows his film, and it's him being raised by a father who he doesn't know what he does for a living, but he dressed just like Dracula and is out every night. <laughs> so... His dad's gay. <laughs> he was a pimp. Uh, so he goes to school. He's kind of a weak kid. The other kids are teasing him all the time. And he goes home and tells his mom, you know, she's like, hey, look, your family is royalty. You know, you come from royal blood. So the kid goes to school the next day and he's getting picked on. He's like, ah, I'm better than all of you. Which bullies love Yeah, to hear. which went over great. <laughs> so... Then this priest comes up and chases them off, played by Donald Pleasance. <laughs> and his, oh, by the way, the kid's dad had always told him, uh, don't ever talk to men with violin cases. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Sound uh, nice. So anyway, Donald Pleasance is talking to the kid and, you know, trying to comfort him and asking questions about what his dad does for a living and, and does kid. Like does he like gladiator movies? <laughs> the kid says he, he doesn't know what his dad does really, but he, he goes out at night and he sleeps all day downstairs. So, surprise, uh, Donald Pleasance gets in his car. He got a violin case. <laughs> Him's a vampire hunter, and they've been looking for this kid's dad. <laughs> 
So they get into the home. <laughs> this is the one that, that, that is bothersome to me. But it's got Britt Eklund from The Wicker Man. So <laughs> Bingo. Yeah, you can't go wrong. That's so, what keeps me invested. The vampire hunters get into the house and go downstairs and stake the kid's dad through the heart. As you do. Uh, and, but in and, and one last, <laughs> but in one last uh, act of desperation, the dad bites Donald Pleasance. So now Donald Pleasance is a vampire, and now his dudes have to kill him. Talk about a worn-out cinema trope, biting Donald Pleasance. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the guys out. have to kill Donald Pleasance, and after all this is done, then the dad... <sighs> Sits up because he always wears his steak-proof vest to bed <laughs> filled with tomato ketchup. And I was like, oh, my God. This Psych. is terrible. And then the Dr. Dre music started. <laughs> it's just, just terrible. So uh, like a one, no, this is my least favorite of the three stories that are told, mostly because of that ending and that line. I did like when this Donald Pleasance. This is the Pleasant best one. <laughs> Strange. This is, that segment's the best thing I've watched all year. <laughs> I did like when Donald Pleasance, to get the bullies to go away, was like, hey, get away from them. <laughs> hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from them. Side story, don't forget, Todd and I did that in Pasadena <laughs> on that actual porch. We were up there on the porch, and Todd's over on the side of the house saying that. And then they were While like, people, it, strangers were watching us, they're like, Jesus. <laughs> They're like, they're back. <laughs> they're like, geez, beat it, nerds. They threw rocks at us. <clears throat> um, so I was watching this alone, and Carrie came down, I think, to get a little <laughs> snack or something, and she watches the end of the skit with me, and we're both just laughing. <laughs> She's like, this is kind of fun. I was like, it is. It's so silly. So that is silly. the key word for this movie. So yeah. silly. Yeah. I would have liked it better if they would have put in like the the Disney's Country Bears or something because I don't think they could afford yeah, Muppets. And even before we go into the last segment, I want to point out the director Roy Ward Baker directed A Night to Remember. He's one of the greatest directors of all time. He's like <laughs> royalty, and you have like Carradine was Shakespearean. I mean, like there is so much talent wrapped up in this. They're just having fun. Yeah, and I yeah. think it shows up in the movie. Now, I do want to point out too before I forget. Double whammy for the Grizz. You've got vampires and UB40. Oh, oh, I know. I saw it in the credits and I was like, you sons of bitch. I'm, I'm you now, pulled off the perfect one-two punch for the Grizz. I'm kind of jealous now that I think about it. The listeners, Benny Grizz hates UB40. Vampire. Bigly. Well, After we were strictly told no vampires for a while. It's a good yeah, one. He's done two vampires in a row. Uh, uh, me weren't the only one. Yeah. <laughs> As I was watching his pick, I said, did we just trick Grizz into watching two more vampire movies? <laughs> I sent him the angel emoji, and he responded with the Top Gun high five. <laughs> In fairness, unorthodox, though. We didn't go with the tired it's gothic true. approach. So I probably should have said up front with this monster. Well, I'll do it in closing. So let's hit the third segment. So the third segment is... A film director goes scouting for new horror movie locations to shoot in. He goes through this dense fog and ends up in this village that time forgot. <laughs> and he finds that the village is inhabited. Well, once he gets there, he starts asking questions to the dirty looking folk who are there. He goes out to leave and the, all kinds of cables and shit have been pulled from under the hood of his car. <laughs> stranding him there. And it turns out 
uh, was Bluto. Uh, <laughs> uh, turns out the whole village is inhabited by ghouls. 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 So uh, he goes and he hides in this. Go for it. Can I pause you real quick? Yep. Right before this segment, the band that performed had a stripping skeleton. That, <laughs> it turned to animation. That turned took took her skin off. Yeah, call can. back to confusing erections. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which Robbie Williams later did in a video. Bingo! Please proceed. <laughs> that was hot. <laughs> so, uh, as the guy has taken uh, refuge in this house, uh, this girl comes in uh, to bring him some food, a rabbit stew uh, from a rabbit that her father had killed. And she lets him know her name is, is it Luna? Is that her name? And she is a Kyungu, which is a hybrid between as, as a, a ghoul and a deceased human, I believe. Is, is don't look out. at us for reassurance. <laughs> I believe that's the explanation and, that's given. And she went on <laughs> to have a career in the WWE as Luna Vachon. <laughs> Thanks for listening, Fun folks. Fact. Fun fact. Uh, so she she doesn't have some of the same limitations as the full-on ghouls because of being a hybrid. So she lets old boy know that if he can make it... Basically, uh, he's been lured here because they have eaten everything that's in the graveyards. Because that's what ghouls do. They, they, they eat carrion. So they've actually lured him there so that he'll die and then they can eat him. Uh, so she tells him, hey, you'll be safe in that church over there. You get over to that church. So he goes to the church, and he is safe over there and finds out that if you hold a crucifix up at the ghouls, it makes them cover their eyes and cower. Can confirm. <laughs> did they teach that in seminary? They did. Uh, so then the girl, he, he tells the girl, I'm not going without you. you. You can escape with me. So they take off running armed with only a crucifix on a pole. <laughs> we call that a processional cross. Thank Go ahead. You. And uh, my favorite is that not only are the ghouls chasing them, but they are chasing them and throwing tennis ball sized rocks <laughs> and using slings. <laughs> Guys, I'm trying everything. I I'm I'm just I'm trying so hard not to do puns with the word cool. I know they won't work. So I'm drinking. It's tough. My favorite part is when they run through that opening in the brush, and so he takes that processional cross <laughs> and wedges it in between the bushes so it'll block their passage. Because they're not strong enough to push through the bushes. Oh, man. So uh, as they get passed through the fog, they're, they're home free, except for one of these jabronis with their sling. <laughs> Chucks a rock straight through that mist and hits old girl right in the face of the neck. <laughs> she hits the ground and she, she says, "Back when Daddy break rabbit's back, the rabbit die soon. I die soon." <laughs> I'm laughing about this girl there's dying. A, so there's a reason she didn't win the Oscar. <laughs> so uh, remember, she, night to remember. <laughs> so she dies. Uh, old boy that you said was Johnny Cash makes it back to. That's actually what I labeled this this vignette was Johnny Cash and the Creeps. That is actually Grizz's only note for this entire movie. <laughs> Just kidding. He's got quite a few. So he makes it back to civilization. Flags down the cops. He's like, "Hey, man, over that through that mist and over that bridge, there's some wild shit going on over there. Like, take us to it." So he hops in with them. They get over there. They go through the mist and. Um, 
they just basically delivered him back <laughs> to these people because they're in cahoots because basically it keeps them at bay. I did like the little story that they had, uh, the history of how the the town got I'll let and I'll let you comment on that. So everybody else, you talk now. So they gave us the uh, 2001 Maniacs ending. <laughs> there ain't no town there, you know. They take uh, them back. Yeah, uh, yes, the thing that you were just hinting at, the really the coolest part of this vignette, it's not a bad vignette, but the coolest part of it was that flashback kind of illustrated storytelling to talk about the, the origin of the town and the, the ghouls. Which was there. basically uh, the preacher in the town came across this dirty, nasty-looking creature, a ghoul, Mm-hmm. Uh, and took it back and bathed it and basically took took the stranger in. Thought he could save him. And got tricked by religion. <laughs> and uh turns out you you can't domesticate a wild ghoul. Yes. And then uh all the rest of the ghouls came out of the woods and the rest is history. I believe as Dr. Dre said, Professor, you can't make a hoe a housewife, right? Correct. And the same thing with a ghoul. <laughs> I don't know how long we have to say you can't help a ghoul. <laughs> My favorite was when they lured him back by saying, that girl is going to eat your butt. (laughs) (laughs) And then she literally did it. (laughs) I must have been in the bathroom during that part. Uh, So, yeah. So that's the end of our our last vignette. You go back to the club and Vincent Price and uh, John Carradine are are wrapping up their their rendezvous. Uh, John Carradine's got to go. Vincent Price is like, no, man, hold up. Uh, I'm... I'm going to sponsor you, man. I, I, th- I want you to be a member of this monster club. And he pitches it, and they're like, he's a human. And then Vincent Price lists every atrocity that man yeah. has ever done. Yeah. And, like, that part actually has some gravity. I was going to say, worth yeah. the price of it. Yeah for, yeah, for as light as the rest of that movie is. And, I mean, it doesn't get terribly dark. But Vincent Price, like, reels you in. And just all the – he's like, hey, humans have – exterminated millions of their own kind you know, like, hey, just gen- in the last 30 years. Genocide. Don't forget nuclear bombs. And at the end of it, everybody's like, man, I didn't know humans were so kick-ass. Hell yeah, you can be in. <laughs> and uh, that's the end of your memory. And then there's a 10-minute dance sequence. <laughs> yeah, there sure is. I feel hey, like, look, um, out of all of the, the moments in time that you can include a lot of music, there's way worse than we can do the 1981. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's serviceable. Yeah, I'm pretty sure though it's that uh, they ripped this off from Interview with a Vampire. <laughs> they read the book, made this into a movie. Yeah, well, we've covered all my notes. <laughs> uh, I wasn't mad about it. It's not a, it's not a bad movie. So I think, uh, I think I read that it was like this was a theatrical movie, but in the U.S. it premiered on TV, which is probably why most of us had because I don't remember the movie as a kid. So and and back when we were kids, something came on TV once, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, and it was gone. And then it didn't always come out on video either. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, curiosities with this that make it worth watching alone. As I said, the director, big deal, and the yeah. fact that he made a ridiculously fun anthology horror movie to me is shocking because I never paid attention to this. I'd seen it before, but I, when I looked at the director, I was like. Holy shit, this is a guy that did A Night to Remember, one of the greatest true story adaptation films ever made. I mean, like, a legitimately big deal. And he made this absurd anthology movie, but with talented people. I mean, the names we've rattled off, they're notable. And so the movie itself is pretty pedestrian, but 
alone, all of the snapshots that it has of that moment as we transition into overly commercialized 80s horror movies, mm-hmm. but also kind of ushering still in not only the gothic stars that we have, but also <clears throat> British anthologies were big in the 70s, especially with Amicus. And so you just kind of have this weird situation where they're rubbing against each other in this movie. So it's it's not bad. It's not great. But it's interesting for that alone. Mm-hmm. It's fun time. What yeah. I was, what it's I was a good allu- Friday night movie. What I was alluding to earlier, as I was say in the beginning, maybe I should have said it, but I'll say it now. It, it, don't go into this expecting a horror movie. Uh, this is you're not going into this for scares at all. You're you're simply going in to be entertained with horror uh, icon icons yeah. in the mix. It's not something you're going to watch if you're wanting to go for good scares. It is. Weird, it is quirky, but I've it's grown on me. I also think it's it interesting too because I feel like it taps kind of into that culture of horror host, which is big with you. That is true. It's there's a playfulness to it where they're not trying to go too extreme with the and scares, that's probably but, why I like anthologies as a whole because it's yeah. got that a little bit of that horror host feel to it. But I, I think for who's in it and everything behind it alone, it should be known a little bit. I haven't watched it for the last time. Sure. Right on. Right and on. Hell, Grizz got a bunch of UB40 CDs. Do <laughs> <laughs> you, you uh, get the Sliver soundtrack? We do UB40 on the way out of this episode altogether. Red, red wine gets him going. Can't get into the next movie quick enough. So let's... You better, because I'm going to be sloppy drunk soon. In a few months, UB40, right? <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> yes. December. Cut him, cut him deep on that one, bud. That's all right. Okay. I feel, like, feel like I'm 39. <laughs> Next film. We are talking about the professor's pick. What is it? Hot Toddward. The Night Flyer, 1997. Uh, written and directed by Mark Pavia. Also written by Jack O'Donnell with a uh, short story. I say short story because those seem to be the movies they make 20 of by Stephen King. Um, starring Miguel Ferrier, Dan Monahan, Michael Moss. <laughs> oh, that was my note is that Michael Ferrier plays Richard Dees. Dees Nuts. <laughs> uh, also, uh, this is also the same. I think this is the only Stephen King theatrical movie of 97. Um, but also it was the same year as the shining quick silver highway and trucks, which were all, uh, basically Stephen King was just being made for TV. So completely tapped out at that point. I mean, they had literally just cashed in everything they could trucks is maximum overdrive. So that's where we're, and the other two, uh, Mick Garris. Um, so this is a fact I have tried to work out picking this for a match for years. It is the only DVD I could not crack because it was so out of print and painful uh, prices on that, that I didn't want to pick it and force people into a situation where it would be a pain in the ass to see. Out of print as in they don't print it anymore. Yes. And so I, uh, (laughs) you're fucking with me right now because I'm drinking. I don't even know what's going on. Uh, So, it's one that I'd wanted to cover for a long time, but it was difficult to see. And so I had tried to dub it, 
to no avail. So, but on YouTube, now available for free. And so I went with it. Um, for me, this movie has always been overlooked. Um, it's been lumped in with a lot of piss poor adaptations that came out of the nineties with Stephen thinner. King. Yeah. Thinner, <laughs> no kidding. Uh, and, and so it's, uh, I have a, a soft spot for this because I kind of think of it as the end of my youth with Stephen King. I mean, I've always continued to watch his stuff, but this was kind of the end of the great run for me right before I was old enough to get a driver's license and really get in, you know, thriving with high school and not interested in keeping up with everything for a few years. So um, it's one I've always been very fond of. Um, and so it's one that I wanted to shine a little light on. I don't understand. I think it's maybe because Richard Rubenstein produced it, who also did Dawn of the Dead, is the reason that we don't have easy that discs make, that to pick sense. up for it, because he's kind of ridiculous, I think, with rights, mm -hmm. uh, which is why you have to buy your uh, cool Dawn of the Dead disc from Europe or other countries, because he's just, you know, hide it from the mic, bring it up, crack it up there. It's a celebration. Drink, um, drink, that, a celebration. drink that yeah, seltzer. So this is one I look forward to <laughs> covering, um, and here we are. Had anybody seen this before? I had not. Um, it was always on the shelf at the public library where I used to rent movies from when I moved back to Muncie about 13 years ago. And I was like, what is that movie? And I think by the time I stopped checking stuff out from the library there, you were like, I was like, oh, Night Flyer. Yeah, I've seen it on shelf. You're like, they've got Night Flyer on DVD <laughs> at the library? And I was like, yeah, what's the big deal? You're like, you should rent that or check that out. And then I... Stop did. checking movies out there. He didn't. Instead, he watched uh, Field of Dreams again. <laughs> it's a good movie. Moonlight Grant. Um, I, I saw when it hit uh, the video stores. Um, and this is still like, this is kind of a slow period for horror, too. So I remember we had a few copies of this. But I think a lot of people just don't know what this movie is because they released it as a theatrical run and then they decided three months before it hit theaters to put it on HBO. Right. And I think that hurt it too. Um, but I have not, Clearly I they didn't learn. <laughs> I can't remember the last time, um, I had watched this movie because as I started watching it for this, I was like, damn, I don't remember any of this in this movie. So cool. So, uh, right off the bat, K and B does uh, special effects on this. So, hmm. Alone, that might interest people. Never heard of it. For that. <laughs> um, and so the setup for this is very, very simple. It's it's really a, a noir angle. A gothic in a lot of ways. Yeah, with uh, <laughs> the narrative of what normally would be a detective. But in this, we have a tabloid journalist. Yeah. And so we start out, uh, obviously, getting to know uh, Richard D's. Aka Dick D's D's nuts. I'm just getting it out of the way. Let's just work it all out. Um, he is a cynical tabloid reporter. Uh, we run him alongside a fresh hire that's been brought in, who's a little naive, a little hopeful uh, for the profession that she wants to get into. And we have a uh, murder that happens in an airfield, and nobody really jumps on it just yet. And I just want to clarify right. Out front, the editor is the worst part of the movie. He drives me insane. I've oh, seen yeah. this movie at least four or five times now. And every time I think, God, that guy sucks. He's like <laughs> trying to be Joey Pants, but not good at it. Um, but as a couple more murders occur, the story becomes a little bit more enticing. 
And so what had originally been awarded to the younger, newer reporter uh, in Catherine is awarded to the seasoned veteran, the cynical Richard Dees, our main character. And so he lifts the story from her, uh, and there is speculation of a aviator who is registered as Dwight Renfield. Uh, for our horror fans, I'm sure they can put that together. Oh, yes. Um, and they explain it in the movie uh, with Dwight Fry playing the character of Renfield and Dracula. So a cute little nod there. Um, but so we have a few more murders pile up. And so I won't spend a lot of time going through the details of it because I, I don't think it's uh, necessarily needed to explain the whole point of the movie. But he tracks and goes through witnesses and even gets into bribing uh, to learn the backstories on these situations of these murders that have piled up uh, in the area. And so... We eventually, as we go through this, we start to get warnings left for him, like on the hotel windows, even a dramatic scene on a bar napkin where our character has been in the bar warning him to basically stay away, quit investigating the case. And so um, at the same time, the editor is unpleased with Deez's performance on investigating this and sends out the new reporter to run a parallel investigation. And our culmination is those two learn of the parallel investigations, decide to work together, which is a ploy from Dees, who <laughs> uh, locks her up and heads out to the final destination for the movie, which is Wilmington, where he has learned that our killer has landed at. And so when we get there, we have a massacre. There are bodies everywhere. It's it's visually it's pretty explicit in terms of what they've they've done there at the airfield. And the murders themselves are, are odd as well. Did, did you touch on that? No. Okay. So no, that's a good point. So we're we're having the bodies drained of blood. We're having certain characters that are left over for locals to describe how they were different. And so you're getting the classic tropes that tie into uh, vampire films and victims. Um, but yeah, so the massacre and everything that happens in the third act, this is what's always been interesting to me is that for a lot of critics, the movie fell apart in the third act. And for me, I like the third act. I think leading up to that, it's very playing on cliches of noir detectives. Leading and, up to it is something my grandmother would watch. Exactly. You know what I mean? I, no, I'm be glad to be in your company with that no. because... I, it's fine for setting up the story and entertainment purposes, but I never understood why people were critically harsh on the third act. I'm like, well, that's what I'm here for. Like the first two acts are just completely exhausted approaches to it. They're fine for what we're doing. And I think that it's, it's uh, novel and interesting enough that we have a tabloid investigator reporter who flies his own plane and we're dealing with a, a killer who's flying his own plane. And so those things are interesting enough that I don't mind the cliches, but the third act is where we hit the gas pedal. My grandma would have loved it. She did not like horror movies. She would have loved this movie because she would have fallen asleep before the third act <laughs> and never known. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And so uh, we get to – does anybody want to share anything before we get to the final act? Just uh, thoughts on that lead up? I was going to say I, I don't know – I'm trying to remember somebody's because they mentioned dairy. There's, there's, there is a dairy reference. I wrote that down and, and as well. I don't know if I ever noticed it originally, but a lot of the articles he's written is like 
basically Children of the Corn and all these other um, mm, yeah. some of his little tabloids. And um, I have not read the short story to this, and I have not read the Dead Zone. I also don't know what books are, but <laughs> uh, apparently Richard D's the character is also a reporter in the Dead Zone. So hmm. just blew my mind. Interesting. Nice. Uh, he does have the quote, never believe what you publish, never publish what you believe, which uh, he lays out to the uh, young reporter when they've met up at the bar. That he continually calls Jimmy in reference to Jimmy Olsen from the Daily Planet and Superman comic books because she's young and naive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I was watching this film, though this film was not for me, I was like, this was Handmade for Professor Wagstaff. Yes. <laughs> this film has got your fingerprints all over it. Well, and I, I fully expected at least a couple of you would be rolling your eyes by the second act until you get to the finale. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's kind of corny. And I think it's important for listeners to understand that. And it, this is on YouTube, completely free again. Mm-hmm. So check it out. But so we get to the airfield. We've got the massacre everywhere. And then we get to... Our main character in D's, he starts taking his photos like he does, the cynical tabloid uh, investigator that he is, and it affects him. And he goes to get sick in the restroom where he encounters Dwight Renfield. Yeah. And so we have uh, some interesting approaches, and I'm glad they don't go too gutter with it because I remember the first time I watched this back when it aired, the piss in the urinal and the blood. I was like, oh, God, are we getting ready to just get complete trash? But they don't. And so that's where he learns that this guy is for sure a vampire because he's seeing things, but in the re- no reflection in the mirror in the bathroom. And so I thought he had gonorrhea or that. <laughs> when, you remember when his, uh, Dwight said, oh, threatening him, said, or I will swallow you whole. And I was like, did he just threaten him with a blowjob? They were, George Michael had just been in the news. They were in an airport and he did tap his foot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when I did see, I think from the very at the very beginning, you don't see the vampire, but you see his costume. Yes, because you don't see his face till the end. And when I saw his costume, I was like, "Tight costume, player." <laughs> I was like, "At least you go live into that role, right?" Yeah. Like if I was a vampire, I would dress like Bela Lugosi, right? I'm not trying to dress. Did like you clean your window out when you realized it was a vampire movie? I already knew when I went into it. <laughs> He covered I, up the holes in his drywall. Full disclosure, I did not pick this because it was a vampire movie, though. You guys are just trolling me. I get it. <laughs> um, it so, accident, like Bob Ross said. Yeah, I, you know, I'm flying around New England by myself. I'm wearing a cloak. What's the big deal? <laughs> um, so at that point, um, we have Dwight Renfield forcing him to destroy the, the film footage that he's just taken with snapping the pictures of the victims. And proceeds to draw the comparisons, which are pretty obvious leading up to that, to be perfectly honest, of the blood-sucking nature of a tabloid journalist and a vampire. And so he forces him to suck the blood out of his wrist, which then causes hallucinations. We've got a reaction. Please share. No, I, didn't, no, I was just glad you said wrist. <laughs> Airport bathroom. Vin, I got it. Vinny's working blue tonight. That's <laughs> what um, you get for making me shotgun a beer. And so then that causes him to have hallucinations of all the victims rising up like zombies in in the airport. And um, then you've got the classic Candyman ending. Misunderstanding. This is where I I thought, oh, my God, did David Lynch take over directing this movie? It's incredibly stylized. It really is. We go black and white. 
and the lighting is almost from the ground up. It's, it's honestly, it looks pretty cool. And um, what this causes from the hallucinations is as the police arrive, it appears that Dees is the killer. And so he's got an axe and he's fighting what he's witnessing and they just see a crazy bastard with an axe and bodies everywhere. And so they gun him down. And so then you get the cynical ending on the movie, um, which takes from the advice of D's, which is never report what you believe, etc. And so the young naive reporter who has shown up after he had run her off from the story and tied her up, she arrives as that occurs and she knows better. She watches Renfield walk off. But she reports the story as D's, as the killer. And so, you know, it's basically a a statement on garbage journalism and vampires. But uh, for me, the reveal that we see right towards the end, because, and I didn't mention this, he calls him back and says, I need to see your face. I thought you were going to not mention that. Yeah. And so, to me, that's everything for this movie. Mm -hmm. That's what I remember. Because at the time, we had just been oversaturated with movies like this, just using the most basic cliches for either movies that we're airing on cable or VHS videos. And so this with K and B, it's a pretty gnarly reveal when we show the face and, and the mouth just flies up. And so that alone, that's why I wanted to cover. I did not expect that reveal for the face. I didn't expect the face to look like that with the tone, the way the rest of the movie had been. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because the reveal was ruined for me because the DVD cover art has, has his face on it. Yeah. It's so, True. And it's it's such a bummer because that would have been a more striking Yeah, they should have. I've never understood that because it's on everything. Yeah. Because like when if, I watched it that, on Facebook, I put it on Facebook. I was looking for a poster to put up, and I was like, everything has the face in it. Can't get around it. Like, what's the, what's the carnival term, Vinny? The blow-off? If, yeah. you, if your blow-off is revealing the creature, why the fuck would you put it on all yeah. the promotional art? Makes no right. sense. <laughs> yeah. Makes no sense. But yeah, luckily I had not seen the poster before I watched it because that would have been a bummer. <laughs> yeah, because I watched this when it aired. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it was a big deal. The, uh, New the, Stephen King. The, the DVD cover yet. too was that was that was the poster they that was the poster that sold the movie. So I mean, yeah. did that dog on the roof scare the fuck out of anybody else? Like that was the scariest part of the movie for Listen, me. Is that dude getting chased by that dog? I've been bit my whole life by dogs. It <laughs> <laughs> scared me. Uh, you are made of milk bones. <laughs> <laughs> what about? Uh, are we going to talk about how the vampire has one tooth? <laughs> Or one thing, <laughs> if you will. Okay. Make it work. It's a big one. And uh, the ladies love it. <laughs> I love when the lady got all dossied up. and Yeah, he has filming. familiars. I she, like that he has familiars. so young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The lady from Titanic. And, uh, <laughs> Titanic. And, uh, she uh, got all gussied up. And first she watched him have his way with her husband. And then she got all up in the it's bedroom. 84 years. Cucking. <laughs> 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 the effects were great, though. They were good. Like... Good gorse stuff, and they're like, there's mm-hmm. a good slash at the beginning when an old boy gets killed and then is laying with his face on the grill, just sizzling. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> That's pretty. Cool. Said when the when they find the body of the husband and his head almost pretty much severed off. It was weird to see uh, Miguel Ferrera, is that his last mm-hmm. name, uh, play a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> play a dickhead yes, uh, for listeners. That is his calling card. Man, like, he nobody played a dickhead better. Yeah. It's so funny because, like, you know, there's that documentary about Dick Miller, and it's called That Guy Dick Miller. You can make one called That Dickhead Miguel Ferreira. <laughs> yeah, <he did. laughs> yeah, was he in a third King movie? Like this, The Stand. 
Twin Peaks played he's, a dick. He was super dick on Twin Peaks. Yeah, uh, Robocop, he was a dick. Yeah. dick was he the guy that Robocop shot in the dick? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I, I'll say this movie was not for me. Um, it's not a bad movie, but I'm glad I watched it. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so that two, two gothic uh, – Two gothic opera for you. Sad goth opera. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> you about to catch hands? No, no, no. No hands catching. I Because Abner needs boobies and jokes, and I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, Aerosmith is about as artsy as he gets. <laughs> <laughs> you no. turned my joke against me, sir. <laughs> that hurts. Um, no, the reason I wanted to, to shine a light on this is because so many movies from that era sucked. Yeah. They were from Stephen King adaptations, and this has KMB. It's legit. More people need to see it. I don't know who's tying up the rights, if it's Rubenstein's or whoever. I was pleasantly surprised by it. It needs to be it, watched. It has to be him because this is this is HBO. It's New Line, and which is now Warner. Yeah. And so the fact that it's not like, – it's not even on the HBO Max because yes. I thought maybe it would be on there. So I didn't realize until you just said that, which is also why I can't get – Legit copies of Martin or Dawn of the Dead. So yeah, you literally have to buy overseas because he's um, so greedy. I hope that he's so greedy he realizes we just all watched it for free, right, on, on YouTube. YouTube. So suck, suck it, suck it. yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, but yeah, no, we have covered infinitely better movies on here, but this is one that I think is just an untalked about gem. We've also covered a lot worse. I was going to well, say, yeah, we've yeah. covered. Which takes us to our next film. <laughs> <laughs> we've covered, you know, we've Good. covered. Good lean-in. Terrible <laughs> movies that couldn't even touch this in quality. So I, I think uh, this is just, uh, I th- again, I think so few people ever saw the movie, so that's just not on radar. Um, it, it, I forgot all about, other than the vampire in the plane, I could not remember anything about this film. So um, I remember when it came out, I watched it quite a few times, and then um, it didn't hold up as well as I remembered it, but it also, uh, when I go back and watch some of the King from the same time period, it's like a masterpiece considering some of the other ones. So, um, especially that, um, I feel like this probably had one of the biggest, and this is sad to say this, one of the biggest budgets for Stephen King movies of the late nineties period. Without question. Okay. Well, thank you, professor. Digging out, digging out the obscure gems. (laughs) Yeah, man, for sure. I want to do for sure. Um, all right, let's, <laughs> let's cruise on down the country road to my film, Hot Toddy. Tell us about it. Mountain Top Motel Massacre. Um, I guess we'll go with uh, 1983, although uh, that was Mountain Top Motel limited release, and then 84, Horrors at Mountain Motel, and then finally 1986, Roger Corman got his hands on this. And it was released theatrically. Um, so pick a year there. There you go. <laughs> Fair um, oh, details. Um, so this is written by Jim McCollin Jr. And directed by Jim McCullough Sr. <laughs> uh, Roger Corman is not credited, but this is New World Pictures, which is his film studio. Um, cast is Bill Thurman, James Bradford, and Greg Brazel. Um, and that's... That's the crew. So I first watched <laughs> this. I was living in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, Do you get a free copy when you move there? <laughs> <laughs> this was uh, 
this was early in my my horror career, so I was watching anything I could get my hands on. Uh, Professor remembers many phone calls back to him and Muncie saying, should I get this, buy this, rent this? Indeed. And um, I, I found a horror artist down there that I really liked. His artwork was displayed at my favorite local video store, which was Wild and Wooly Video, where you could get all sorts of off-the-wall off the stuff. And he had commented... They had a beaded curtain. That's, what he said. <laughs> That's true. And he had commented... The movie Vacancy had just came out. Does anyone remember Vacancy with Luke Wilson? Mm-hmm. And he says, he says, wow. he says, vacancy is a blatant ripoff of Mountaintop Motel Massacre. And I was like, well, let's check this out. Uh, at one detail. I'm seizing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at one detail of the film, that is correct. About the rest of the film, incorrect. But <laughs> the main crux of it. Yeah, the main crux is that you have a killer who travels at a motel by tunnels underneath. And so that's where the similarities between vacancy and mountaintop motel massacre end. And so I watched it (laughs) back then had no idea what I had just watched. Still kind of (laughs) don't. This one is, this one is out there even for me, because as professor said, as long as it's got boobs and laughs, I'm in. (laughs) And and this one, even when I finished this the second time around, I was like, boy, that's a movie. (laughs) Uh, Anybody else ever, Seen this one before I brought it up. Nay. I'm familiar. I'm familiar with the the one. It must be the VHS box with the crazy lady on the front. I was gonna say if if you've seen the cover art for this, you'll get it confused with the cover art for Rabid Grannies, and so they're <laughs> not the same film. But it's not the cover art of the movie that was sitting on my shelf that I opened for this. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the studio that put this out? Because they always have the fun slip covers. Uh, it's been put out. Uh, Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah, put Vinegar it out Syndrome. In the state. States and the 88 films put it out in the UK. So I have the Vinegar Syndrome one. Um, first you, time, first time watch. You bought this? I did because uh, they have some, yeah, like they put a lot of uh, effort into like shitty movies, and I like it. I appreciate it. I like that you gave and, forty bucks for this, and it had a slipcover. <laughs> Hold on, Vinegar Syndrome's never asked forty dollars <laughs> for anything. And Let's it, give the guy a break here. It's forty dollars is a little much. I have watched this guy like thank you very much. Got ten dollars from Vinegar Syndrome. <laughs> Probably a customer that dropped a ten dollar bill off the floor. I watched him Planet of the Apes. From say, booth. I probably buyer, I take offense to forty dollars. I probably was <laughs> buying, I probably was buying this movie while he picked up a ten dollar bill with his foot. <laughs> but uh first time watch and uh I think Killer's generous because when the movie started, I was like, Oh, I get it. This is a this is a change because she's just gonna pester her customers by putting like rodents and insects and stuff in their room just to mess with them, maybe get them to check out early. And, uh, and I guess I was wrong on all accounts. So, and also I, I, I really wanted to find a quote that said directly that this is not a Friday the 13th ripoff. This is not <laughs> a Friday the 13th ripoff. Yeah. If you have to blatantly say that. I wish that this movie was what that cover was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Bingo. The cover looks like Max Graham on it. Can I, can I say my favorite scene, though, is when I, I don't even know if it was faked, if it was scripted or what, but when he punches the old lady <laughs> right in the face. Professor, what's your background with this film? Uh, I'd seen it once before. Okay. Um, I'll just say this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've expressed this before, like when we covered Blood Rage, I have a, a certain fascination with regional horror. Mm-hmm. And so when you 
contextualize it with that, mm -hmm. this is really good. Okay. It is a really well-made film for its resources and who's in it. We don't have a lot of star power like, like we usually have in slashers from this era. And we don't have a lot of hardcore sleaze like we usually lean into. Yeah. And so in that regard, it's interesting. It's this you can't pit this against great movies that we love, obviously, and cover on this podcast. But for what it is, pretty ambitious. Right on. It doesn't take a lot of the cheap routes that these movies do. I like the energy you're bringing to this. I'm here. I, I, I will like say uh, props to the snake bite, though. That was probably the best effect oh, of this man. film. Fuck a snake bite. I hate <laughs> snakes. So let's just set the <laughs> stage here. This is not going to take long. <laughs> um Evelyn is 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 the crazy mother. She's been released from a mental hospital. She goes to stay with her daughter uh, uh, at the hotel that they own, and the daughter is trying to communicate with the dead dad and other spirits. The dead dad's photo looks like Larry Flint, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> is that before or after he was paralyzed? After. Okay. And so... Um, trying to communicate with the, the dead dad and spirits and Evelyn gets very upset about that and kills her daughter. And so, um, there's a guy, there's an old guy, an old preacher who's staying at the hotel who kind of covers for her, like, Oh, she went out to the garden and she slipped and died. I don't know what happened. <laughs> so likely story, likely story. And so, um, it's just like, that afternoon, people start showing up to the hotel like she murders her daughter. Business picks up <laughs> better than it probably ever has in the years that this thing has been open. Yeah, 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 yeah. $7 a night, though. I don't know why not. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got the old white preacher dude staying on the premises. Alcoholic preacher dude. Yes, <laughs> yes. I know the type. And <laughs> then um, this this older gentleman of color shows up who's a traveler. His name is Crenshaw. Crenshaw. Y'all open? <laughs> I love how he walks in and like Evelyn is just like so disheveled because she just murdered her daughter and the police just left and he's like, are y'all open for the night? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I love that Crenshaw and the drunk old preacher dude hang out and bond over Old Crow Whiskey and Vienna Sausages. I thought they were going to get guts. <laughs> <laughs> I am glad that those cabins had working bathrooms after they ate that dinner <laughs> yeah. yeah uh crenshaw's a teetotaler though he does not partake in the drink with the old preacher dude uh but i'm sure he did share in the vienna sausage with him <laughs> um and then uh alan jackson and his new wife show up <laughs> now see i thought that was great value chuck norris <laughs> <laughs> i was going with great value alan jackson and uh so they show up. And Honey, then, you know I can't afford a holiday inn. <laughs> they, yeah, they're newlyweds. This is their their honeymoon. And then uh, uh, Crystal Gale and her cousin show up <laughs> in a red Volkswagen. They're wanting to be... Uh, that wasn't the Judds? <laughs> yeah, right. They're wanting to be big country singers. And um, I like how they got bamboozled. Like, fooled ya. <laughs> hey, yo. Singing yeah. to the mic. Put your pants on. <laughs> <laughs> There's a sleazy record executive type gentleman who also gets stranded like there. simon cowell all they need to do is the cousins need to scissor and they're going to get a record deal it's simple <laughs> things really escalated was here. not aware that was part of the american idol story that's line. how the judds made it <laughs> well, wait wow a whoa all don't except you, ashley don't you dare besmirch <laughs> 
Winona Judd in my presence. Didn't we just get canceled? <laughs> We've been canceled. Our mics aren't even on. Um, and so uh, they're they're trapped there. A tree has fallen. And then, so now the lady, what she's doing is she's using, uh, Evelyn is using her underground tunnels to not necessarily murder these people, but to inconvenience them with rodents. And well, so... <laughs> but the first one's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She throws a venom snake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's that one's true murder. The ones that follow, eh. But it took him to, it took him like twenty four hours to die. Yeah. So she throws a rattlesnake in the room with Alan Jackson and his newly uh newly married bride. <laughs> rattlesnake straight up was it bite him on the face? On the face, yeah. yeah. Right under his face. Yeah. Um and then she oh, puts the cockroach is a little too much. <laughs> that, put, is it rats in Crenshaw's room? No, it, it was the Crenshaw got the cockroaches. Okay, Crenshaw he got the like, He was it, like it, it didn't phase him. He woke he, up he was bothered in him. Like it took him. Four minutes to wake up from them crawling all over his face and head, and he wakes up and he's like cockroaches, and brushes them off his shoulder. <laughs> he goes back to and bed. Then lays, lays, lays back down as you can see them running across uh, his torso. He's like, "I'm gonna go sleep in my truck." <laughs> <laughs> it didn't phase him that bad. Yeah, he just said, oh, "Fuck it." He was going to sleep in his truck. He just needed a place with a shitter. <laughs> and so, so were the rats in the old preacher's room? I believe yes. so. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Professor, you had stepped away for a moment. Did you like the meal that they had uh, of Old Crow whiskey and Vienna sausages? <laughs> That's why I hit play. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then, so then Evelyn escalates. And as they're trying to figure out what the hell's going on, they're trying to save the dude with the snake bite. Um, they're trying to figure out why things are so weird. Um, Evelyn kills Crystal Gale's cousin. Which <laughs> she also died because she wasn't putting out. So yeah, that was props, the twist. She, yeah, she didn't get killed twist. For, for doing it. She got killed for being the virgin. Where she would have just fruit. slept with her cousin and that guy. She would have <laughs> lived. Suck it, loser. <laughs> and so um, that's why uh, you get a free copy when you move to Kentucky because this has <laughs> right morals. And then Evelyn kills the drunk old reverend man. And so then they find her trap doors. And they start nailing her trapdoor shut, which is her underground uh, tunnel mine entrance. And before we get to the big finale here, do y'all have anything to say? I think we've, I think we've said it all. <laughs> Narratively, no. Okay. Uh, so then there's that sick scene with the sickle through the cheeks. Yeah. It's that old girl with it. And I was like, whoa, that was, that was intense. And then there is a tunnel fight. <laughs> <laughs> An old lady gets punched in the face. <laughs> I mean, uh, you left out too, though, that there was finally the reveal that the guy was not a record executive, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that it didn't. Fa- she was just like, ah, "I would have slept with you." Yeah, whatever. You're, you're a handsome man. You you bought me Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's they 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 put the end to Evelyn and they they get away. So uh, yeah, how's everybody feeling about why that didn't this films? ever have a sequel? Yeah, well, I knew you got a plan for one. Well, I can't even say this is a movie I cannot say the whole title unless I say it dumbed down because <laughs> I just it's too much. I call it Mountaintop Massacre. There's no motel. Any thoughts on the film? Uh, narratively, no. I just I, I can't stress enough that for what this is, it's pretty good. the The kills are decent, the performances are decent, and we don't have stars in this movie. Explain and, the regional thing again, if for folks that maybe didn't listen to the Blood Rage episode. So frequently, as you get into the 80s, you get in 
with the VHS boom and you get a lot of aspiring filmmakers who not only can shoot things for way cheaper, but the market is going to give them a better chance to make money back. And mm -hmm. so it's much more enticing to shoot regionally. You don't need to go through the studio system in LA or New York and these big markets. You can cultivate local aspiring actors. And so you would get people until so like Blood Rage was made in Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. And so you get a lot of people who wanted to be a part of making something, but they didn't necessarily want to commit to being a full-fledged actor in New York or Los right. Angeles. And so what you have happen is you have up, just pop up all over the country, especially in the eighties with the rental era, these booms in local areas where people are making movies. And so you get this in the South Louisiana, where you've got, you're looking at people who wanted to be actors, but didn't want to, Throw all their chips in. Yeah, yeah. And so frequently, I'm going to be honest, these movies suck. There's a charm to them, uh, but you have inadequate resources and things that go into it. And this is one of the rare occasions where that doesn't show itself. The mm -hmm. special effects are decent. The kills are decent. The performances are good. Mm -hmm. And you don't have big money or talent behind it. And so I think you certainly don't have talent. Well, yeah. well, and so I think that's what's so interesting about this movie is because like, I love blood rage, mm -hmm. but you can see it's shortcomings. This really doesn't have that. This feels like it's got more behind it than it does. Yeah. And so even if there aren't certain things about it, story wise or how it plays out that excites you, I think that it's worth mentioning for that alone. Mm -hmm. This is one of the better regional horror movies of that era because, like I said, most of them have something that make you go, okay, I'm going to make a concession for it. I like it because of this, but this is going on. This is really just a pr pretty uh, much a straightforward movie mm -hmm. that doesn't have a lot of things that make you squeamish yeah. that you're okay with because of this. Like, it's just decent. And I, I think that's, you know, when you look at this in, in the context of 40 years later, it still holds up pretty good. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Because uh, horror nerds worship all of these movies. There's a great book called Nightmare Cinema by Stephen Thrower that focuses on these regions and the movies that came out of them in this era. But frequently people will, will say that this movie's great because of X, Y, and Z. And you watch it and you're like, <laughs> that's stretching it. But with this, I think that when I, you know, and with this rewatch, I didn't have anything. I guess that what I'm trying to say is I didn't have anything that made me go, this is bad. But I like it because of this. I just think it's a decent movie. And I think that's worth mentioning. I'm glad you picked it for that. Um, because, again, these movies, people tend to up the praise because of the charm when they're really kind of bad. This is just straightforward. It's a decent movie. Yeah. And they didn't have a lot packing a punch behind it. Anyways, I blew that a little bit more than I meant. I, uh, <laughs> I watched this with a friend and I mean, if it, like, I don't know that it was intended to, but we laughed quite a bit and, uh, it was fun. Um, and it definitely, it kind of put me to mind on a lot of stuff that I would watch like, um, like USA had like up all night, but it's like Saturday afternoons they would play. Uh, not that they were toned down horror movies, maybe just weren't as gory or whatever. So stuff like this would always play and kind of put me in mind of that. I wasn't mad about watching this movie, but I honestly can't really see myself watching it again. 
I, I don't know. Maybe this isn't a bad, uh, like, summer movie, in my opinion. I think it kind of puts me in the summer just because they're in cabins and, and things like that. But So maybe, I don't know, maybe I could squeeze this in on a seasonal. Uh, again, I don't, I don't think it was a bad movie, but I certainly don't think it was a great movie. Yeah, I'll probably watch this one again. <laughs> it's it's not my favorite movie, but it's it's fun enough. Yeah, I, I think it's important to point out that like if you're just a casual viewer and wanting like rewarding fun yeah. views, this isn't going to be at the top of your list. So, but if you're interested in kind of the background on the filmmaking, I think it's a pretty neat movie for that regard. Right on. All right. Well, thanks for watching Mountaintop Motel Massacre. And now we head into Todd's pick. And as we give uh, the caveat so often, Todd's pick is a newer film. And so if you haven't seen it, we would probably recommend that you go ahead and stop the podcast now to avoid spoiler alerts because we will spoil it. Um, but it's a fun movie. It's definitely, definitely worth watching. Todd, tell us what your pick is. So Freaky 2020. Written and directed by Christopher Landon, um, also written by Michael Kennedy, and uh, produced by Jason Bloom and Ryan Turek, and starring Vince Vaughn, Catherine New Newton. Um, I'm trying to think if I, I was kind of more writing down characters than the actual names, but um, Alan, Alan Ruck, so from Ferris Bueller, pops up in here. Um, and then the best rest of the cast is just kind of, um, probably I assume some up and coming stars or wasn't really familiar with them. So good times, good times, good times. Um, so I had just, uh, watched this recently. Um, I wanted to see it. It's one of the rare movies that actually came out new into the theater um, was it October, November, whenever we had a Friday the 13th last year, which, uh, Bloomhouse is at least pretty good for marketing stuff. And, um, I didn't get to see it there and I ended up getting it for a really good price on Amazon. So I just actually purchased the movie and I watched this again with friends. And if I'm being honest from the trailers and everything, um, I almost expected this to be a watered-down PG-13 non-gory movie, um, and was I surprised? Uh, for some reason, I didn't realize going in that Christopher Land Landon had uh, was a part of this, which he also did Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, um, Paranormal Activities, the Marked Ones, and Happy Death Day 1 and 2. So it's got a pretty good track record, mm -hmm. Plus, uh, especially since his dad was uh, so many years on Highway to Heaven. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, this movie, I wanted to see, and it actually surprised me. It was a lot uh, more fun than I was expecting it to be. And I also like the original title, which was Freaky Friday the 13th. So pretty much sums up the movie, because it's basically uh, Friday the 13th meets Freaky Friday. Um, so it's just the basic premise of um, a Freaky Friday and the change-up and vice versa and all the many movies where they, they basically switch bodies. Um, probably closer to the hot chick where um, the old bum switches with um, the chick from uh, The Notebook, Rachel McAdams. But in this one, uh, Vince Vaughn plays a serial killer and he switches body with the young, uh, kind of nerdy high school girl. 
Um, also, there's really cool tropes that they play with in this, like the the black friend and the gay kid. They're actually not the first to go, um, and they're kind of like uh, kind of making it to the end. And this movie was actually gory as shit, and they were creative on their kills. So the beginning of the movie surprised me quite a bit, especially when he put the bottle down a guy's throat and then smashed it. May we all share our experience with the film. I was just going to talk about it forever, and <laughs> you get no time. <laughs> this is my second time viewing the film. Uh, when it came out, I got it at the Red Box, and then show off. Really enjoyed it, and honestly, was leery that it might taper off with a second viewing. And it holds up. I mean, I'm I'm going to buy this movie. So I'm like, man, it was so fun the second time around. As soon as it hits the two dollar bit, exactly. As soon as I find <laughs> it at a pawn shop. Or at the used video store, I'm buying this one because uh, it was just as fun the second time around as it was the first time. Fetty. <clears throat> this movie is not for me, guys. Uh, it's not for me. I, I don't think it's intended for me. Uh, didn't hit. I, I enjoyed it enough for like, I, I threw something on on a Friday night. I wasn't mad that I watched it, really. I made jokes about it, but I wasn't mad that I watched it. It was enjoyable enough. I felt like it was very pedestrian. Uh, I think that it was extremely derivative. I don't think there was much originality to it at all. As Todd said, it's Friday the 13th, and it's Freaky Friday, and it's vice versa, and it's you know 18 again or whatever. It, I just felt like the. I forgot about that I one. I felt like the entire premise was completely wore out. There were some great gore effects. Can't take that away from it. There were some great gore effects. Like I said, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just obviously do not did not enjoy it the way you two enjoy it, and that's okay. We don't all like fun movies. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I might play it like a good time. Um, well, uh, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> Quite divided. Um, <clears throat> so, Vince Vaughn has always, always been a great villain. He's never been given the roles for it. And so, it was an interesting play on that. Um, at the same time, I think frequently with Blumhouse, uh, movies are being well-produced and made, but they're also targeted at younger people. And so when I was watching this, I think, okay, they tipped the scale more than they needed to, which as a horror fan, I appreciate because they didn't skimp on the gore, the kills. No, they didn't. And they brought the heat with that. But at the same time, when I'm watching it, I think, okay, some of these jokes, lingo references are going to be dated in five years. That hurts the movie. That's Okay. Um, but yeah, so this was a second viewing for me and it's a good time. It's, it's not my favorite. And I thought that a lot of critics kind of over pumped it. Um, but I think that it's still or heavy. And so I think that it easy, a lot of times it's easy to cop out. Sorry, the alcohol is starting to get in my blood. Um, it's easy to cop out and, and, and market and label something as just teen whore. And I don't think that's fair to this. I think that it goes heavier than that um, and delivers the goods. But at the same time, it still leans quite heavily into that. And I think uh, for listeners over the age of like 30, 
that's important because it, some people are going to be completely bored with it and others are going to be delighted. And so I, I, I think it's an interesting movie, uh, but alone, I think it's fun for Vince Vaughn, who's never been given the range that he's capable of with uh, the roles. And so like you go back and look at something like Clay Pigeons, where he's a villain in that, and he's really, really good. But then he kind of just got just cornered into these uh, continual same roles like stars do. I think well, it's we, cool. we all loved him as Norman Bates. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> but so I, I think that it's it's fun and interesting that they gave him the shot with this, and they could have been way lazier with a Freaky Friday approach to a horror movie. And I feel like they still try to tap into some pretty creative and fun. I think it's it. also important to point out I don't watch a lot of comedy movies, so. That has some bearing on how it's going to be received by me as well. I just don't watch a lot of comedy movies. Is that why I get ripped when I do Police Academy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, Todd, do you want to give us the premise of the film? All right. So, um, like I said earlier, Vince Vaughn, he plays The Butcher. Um uh, basically, the movie starts out like a uh, like a Friday the Thirteenth film with um, some horny teenagers um, in in a bougie big ass house, and uh, the slasher just comes in and starts ripping through these kids and and viciously kills them all. Um, it's a small town, so everybody kind of knows um, at school the next day that there's all of this has happened. Um, I think the movie starts what like on the like the 11th or somewhere so it's leading up to friday the 13th um we have a the young nerdy girl um so she um is millie and um basically um nobody has taken her glasses off or pulled her hair down yet so she's the <laughs> ugly girl uh, but they ended up uh he she's left alone at a um Mama's a drunk, which is a one of my favorite '80s staples. Um, you know, those it's me are, right now. <laughs> you were very uh, much Marge uh, from Nightmare on Elm Street for it's been a few a minutes long ago. And, Fourteen months. <laughs> See you guys on the next. Episode. So uh, yeah, she's yeah, left alone buddy. on uh, after a game because she's the um, what's mascot. their mascot? Like a beaver or something. Um, and she's all alone, and she's targeted by the butcher who's chasing her down to kill her. And uh, like all Freaky Friday movies, there's a moment, and they um, wake up the next day, and they are in each other's bodies. Um, so Vince Vaughn is now Millie, a young teenage girl. And then Millie uh, is the serial killer who all of a sudden just decides to dress like like hot and... Blows everyone's minds at school, and... I took issue with that. So, scrubby-ass Vince Vaughn, <laughs> serial killer, wakes up... Psychopath. Wakes up in a teenage girl's body, and knows how to do cute makeup and put together cute high school girl outfits. If you want to, like, kill people, yes. Okay. That's that's the the thing that this was the unbelievable film. part of the film for you. <laughs> that, this part stuck in my crawl. <laughs> Let's be real; nothing's better than uh, the original Freaky Friday with Jodie Foster. Am I right? Is that the problem? Is that who was in the original? 
wasn't it? Or was it some Haley Mills? Haley that Mills. was parent. She parent trapped know. your ass. I don't know. That's why well, I'm remaking a horror movie right now with a parent trap. So let's not step on that. Anyways, um, I mean, I'm really there's not a whole lot to the movie. I think that's kind of what made it fun. Um, I thought it was a fun movie, but I can't argue with any of the statements because there's it is it's non-original though. Uh, other than I can't think of the, anybody that's done this, the horror route and the fact that it is, it is definitely targeted for teens. I can't argue that, but the fact that it was really gory and definitely didn't try to do the PG 13 rating, which is their basic crowd. Um, well, and I think another thing for me too, is I felt like Vince Vaughn was basically given, uh, the part that Jack Black was given in the new Jumanji. Well, Jumanji's garbage, but <laughs> you will not serve Jumanji in this Sir. house. Jumanji one, good. Jumanji sequels. Oh yeah, I forgot that's from his year of hate. Yeah, yeah. It's he, two he, years he, running. He takes lovable sequels that he begged for and hates them. We already had a spinoff with Zathora. I didn't need the Jumanji ones. If you paid attention to the timeline, <laughs> you might still feel the same. Anywho, so. uh uh, we uh, we have like the little love interest, which is it, it is kind of odd watching uh, Vince Vaughn as the girl um, trying to get it on with the young boy. So back to confusing erections, little awkward, <laughs> little awkward. Um, the sister uh, plays uh, like a was she like just a cop? I can't remember. She wasn't the sheriff, was she? Yeah, she was just a but, deputy. I don't know. Like I think the movie was fun. I thought it was a little surprising because honestly, I thought the movie was definitely going to be. Uh, watered down PG thirteen horror just because of the the subject and um, honestly uh, it kind of makes sense because I thought Happy Death Days both were not going to be that great and I actually enjoyed both of those and I enjoyed this movie and of all the paranormal movies he probably made the best one so I don't know I kind of like his movies and his style so um, I enjoyed it and I don't think I can go with much more into the plot of basically if you've seen Freaky Friday or any of the uh, did we leave any movies out like father, like son, uh, which is probably the scariest one. Cause it has Kirk Cameron, uh, who's terrifying. So I, again, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just don't think it was intended for me. It's just not my cup of tea. I don't, I don't, uh, would I, I don't be, hold it against anybody if they did enjoy it. Am, am I pushing the, pushing a little early here to ask, do you like comedy horror? <laughs> No, I do, okay. and, and but I I don't know. So I, I think I outlined what didn't work for me on it. I just which this is too. this is definitely I would say comedy horror. Where I asked the question for the other episode because there's horror comedy, which is to me a scary movie with like like right. child's play with a lot of humor, and then you get movies that are comedy, which is this is definitely a comedy. It's, this is definitely a comedy. So listen. <laughs> they could have taken a way lazier approach sure. to this movie. And so that's the important thing to point out. So I think there will be, I think the makeup will be exactly like we are. I think there'll be some people that are, that are just like, this isn't for me, but it's still decent. And then there'll be other people who think, holy shit, I thought it was going to be this, but it was this. Well, they also did practical effects, too, instead of CGI. Yeah, like, the kills and the stuff in it are cool. And so, it's worth watching for that. And as I mentioned earlier, I think 
giving Vince Vaughn vehicles for this is a good thing. I think he's been just shoehorned into the same roles over and over and over again. So it's fun to see him kind of have this rebirth with creative uh, opportunities like this and Brawl and Cell Block 99. Brawl, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that what a lady but, wears? Yeah, he... I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy how uh, when Vince Vaughn's character is inhabiting the teenage girl's body, that in the beginning you can tell he didn't compensate for the fact that he's not in this big, giant man's body and is instead in this little teenage girl's body. And so when he tries to get physical with somebody, he gets checked real quick and then, you know, has to start being smarter (laughs) about it. But I did kind of like that, that they at least acknowledged that reality. Kind of like when the girl is in Vince Vaughn and she's running and all the kids are just lapping him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I think the highlight of the film, what's really worth mentioning, Professor already said something really great, is that they could have gone so much more chintzy with this, and they mm-hmm. didn't. Yeah. And so they, they 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 tried to make a good movie, and in my opinion, they did. Um, but I think what really sells it is that Vince Vaughn and the female lead do so good when their bodies are switched. Like, to see Vince Vaughn running around, you know, <laughs> with his hands in the air and like not knowing how to run and, you know, how to push people and stuff like that. And then like to, and to the, the female lead just to watch her total transformation in the way that she acts and behaves. Um, it was great. That's, that was, I think that was one of the best things about it. Well, I think that's an ongoing thing with Blumhouse. That's interesting is they they aren't constantly taking the easy paycheck. Yeah. They're making the movies they want to, but at the same time, not fully. They're making the movies that will make money, mm-hmm. but they're not taking the complete phony approach to it. I, I think that's yeah. interesting, and I, and, I think and, it's an interesting relationship for older viewers like us. Because if I'm 18, 20 years old, this movie kills it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I'm glad you bring up about Blumhouse. Like, we all like Blumhouse, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there haven't been some of their films that haven't fallen flat for me, because there's sure. been plenty that have fallen flat. But this this one just hits for me, um, and I think the acting's got a lot to do with it. Um, they lean into a little bit of a sentimental story with the family, you know, the the girl and her sister and her mother, that they've lost the father. But they don't go too far with it. I think they they handle it just a fair amount just to develop some sort of depth to their characters. Um, And uh, I like when the girl is in Vince Vaughn's body and she gets kicked in the balls. (laughs) She's like, oh, no, I've got balls. That's a weakness. That's not going to help anything. I think uh, maybe it's just low-hanging fruit here, but I really like it when he does the dance to prove to him. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what am I watching? It <laughs> yeah. works. Yeah. And then they do their, their shake, shake bitches. I was um, going to say too, I also like when, uh, when they have the girl tied up and the boys, is it his aunt or mom or somebody walks in and the first thing is like, uh, like, uh, well, I'm, I'm not gay. <laughs> right. and, and she's just like, no, be for real. She's like, you are many things. Not gay is not one of them. <laughs> uh, but, uh, is not one I think one reason I really enjoyed this one and I didn't quite rush out to see when it first came out is the change up, which is not that old, which was marketed pretty big as, you know, everybody's seen this movie a bunch of times cause it's been done a lot. And the change up was the rated R 
like, oh, we're we're going there, and it was just a shitty ass movie. Okay, well, uh, I'm curious, what time are we up to? Three hours. <laughs> we have just rolled over the 120 mark. We are excited to see each other in person. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yeah. In clo- my closing statements, uh, I really enjoy this, and um, it's fun to see some of the mean people get there. Just desserts. Alan Ruck is a mean teacher. It's a unique rule for him because he's not usually the mean guy. He's usually the nice guy. And it's very, very nice to see him get murdered. (laughs) (laughs) Suck it, bitch. And then at some point, uh, the football players are going to try to have their way with her, and she ends up murdering them. And that's a very gratifying scene. Um, But I also want to give a shout out to the haunted mini golf that they have the great scene in, because as a child, I went to a haunted mini golf course in uh, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And so I was like, Hey, I've been to one of those before. And that was very cool. Did that make you become a preacher? It did. <laughs> Pigeon Forge. Get you every time. Pigeon Forge. Damn you, Dolly. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I like this movie. I would highly recommend it, especially given the slim pickings that we've got these days. Very true. Very true. A year that uh, was deprived of many releases. It was pretty entertaining. I say at least watch it. I mean, I wouldn't tell you not to watch it. Like I said, it's not a bad movie, and it may hit for you, and it may not, but give it a whirl. You know, I would say, too, if you're – I don't know. I think it would please horror fans just because of some of the gore and stuff, but if you are definitely going into this for a scary movie, then you're going to be disappointed. So Yeah. Can't say enough. There's so many good kills. Listen. So many good kills. Your professor's been drinking. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the truth. This could have been fucking trash. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't. It was not. No, it's not trash. Give it a shot. You may not love it, but they keep it honest enough for the horror fans that I think even a season older viewer will at least enjoy it. For sure. Enough. I mean, the last time Vince Vaughn was a serial killer was Psycho. So way to, way to redeem yourself. And again, watch Clay Pigeons. Yeah. All right. Good times. Glad third, to be back. And All here together. With a <laughs> marathon match this evening. Uh, it's good to be back uh, in person, giving you some quality recordings here, and just uh, being with my buds. So, signing off of this Monster Mash, I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Adner, and I'm joined by... Half in the bag, Professor Wagstaff. <laughs> Venom Spinny. Making sure I'm using this coaster hot toddy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Stay scary. Okay, <laughs> Don't cross the streams. We're back, baby! <laughs>